0: the sound of the amis tribe on radio taiwan international
1: Should we reopen? That's the question a lot of the world is asking.
0: Here in Taiwan, we never closed down. However, life has changed dramatically. In today's Taiwan Insider, we're going to give you a roadmap for where the rest of the world might be headed. I'm Andrew Ryan.
1: I'm Natalie So. Let's first take a look at the stories on our radar. <music>
2: The U.S. Senate has unanimously passed a bill asking Secretary of State Mike Pompeo to develop a strategy for helping Taiwan return to the World Health Assembly as an observer. Taiwan has been barred from the annual meeting of the WHO's governing body for several years due to Chinese pressure. The Assembly will convene on May 18th. this time online due to COVID-19. Good news for Taiwan's graduates. A survey has found that despite the impact of COVID-19, 62% of companies are still hiring as normal. The only downside, starting salaries will be lower across the board. Daiyi County in southern Taiwan is easing surgical mask requirements in schools. Students and teachers will be allowed to take their masks off outdoors, but masks and social distancing will still be required in classrooms. Now, a look at one of Taiwan's beloved national bears. A rescued Formosan black bear called Mulas is now a year old. Trainers recently placed a camera in a tree where the bear has built a nest and caught this adorable scene. The little bear is learning how to survive in the wild so it can one day be released back into the mountains. And under the radar this week is a story that takes us under the sea. There was no limit on the number of fish allowed to attend the underwater graduation of a Pingdong County Elementary School last week. Scuba diving is already a requirement for the students, so the staff figured why not hold the graduation five meters underwater? It was not only a memorable ceremony, but also a great way to keep the kids socially distant in the time of COVID 19.
1: And now for our words of the week. Andrew, ready to guess mine?
0: Yes, what do you have? Bananas.
1: (laughs) Are you hungry? Superman.
0: (laughs) Save the date. Sale. Salubrious <laughs> Salute. <laughs>
1: okay, so Nurses Day International Nurses Day Was Tuesday So I would like to salute All the nurses And other health workers That have been fighting The pandemic On the front line Also we have something Big to celebrate in Taiwan Over a month Of no domestic cases I'd like to salute The government And all the people of Taiwan Yes For working so hard for this It's going a, in a good direction A
0: great word Fantastic word yeah. A salute to everybody all right, you ready for my word? Yes. All right. <laughs>
1: Emerald. No. <laughs> Emery board. No. Em emerging. Emerge. Emerging.
0: Ta-da! Good guess. Emerging. I feel like the world is discussing whether or not you know they should lift restrictions and lockdowns. It's almost like an animal emerging from hibernation. Uh Um, But the question is, uh, you know, is this groundhog going to see its own shadow
1: Hmm. and go back
0: for more time underground? Good question. Hopefully not.
1: All right, let's put these on the shelf. All right.
0: Taiwan has reported zero new cases of COVID-19 for an entire week straight. And it's been one month since we saw a domestic infection. And that means we could soon see looser restrictions on everyday life.
1: But what about international travel? Well, let's take a look at the main airport serving Taipei. This is a very empty taiwan Taoyuan International Airport. Right now, there are only a handful of flights in and out of Taiwan each week.
0: So it's an unusual predicament. If there are no cases of COVID-19 in Taiwan, but the rest of the world is still dealing with the pandemic, how can we possibly open up? Here's a look at where things stand right now only citizens and residents can enter Taiwan.
1: Health Minister Chen shih says Taiwan could gradually allow foreigners to enter for important business that cannot be conducted remotely.
0: But he also says lifting the overall ban would require a safe vaccine or drug to treat COVID-19. And the health minister says that it's hard to imagine resuming normal cross-border travel before the end of the year.
1: We're curious to know what the situation is like in your part of the world. Join the conversation on the Taiwan Insider Facebook page. Tell us, are you still in lockdown? And what's it like where you live? We'd love to hear from you.
0: As countries around the world begin lifting lockdowns, a lot of people are going to start eating at restaurants again. And what's that going to look like? Well, I'm going to give you an idea in today's Taiwan Explained. In today's Taiwan Explained, I'm going to tell you what it's like to eat in a restaurant in Taiwan in the time of coronavirus.
1: All right, you got 60 seconds. Are you ready, Andrew?
0: I think so. Go. All right. Because the cases of coronavirus have been relatively few in Taiwan, less than 450 so far, that means that a lot of restaurants have stayed open for sit-down customers. But there are a lot of rules in place to keep you safe while you're dining in. If a server puts a gun to your head, don't worry, they're probably just taking your temperature. Then they spray your hands and with alcohol before you enter. Larger venues and events require you to leave your name and contact information. Staff members regularly disinfect restaurants, including tables, menus, and dishes, and staff must wear masks and wash their hands. Now, a couple other things that you'll notice when eating out in Taiwan. People use gongkwai, or communal chopsticks, rather than using their own chopsticks to serve themselves. Some restaurants have removed tables and blocked off seating to ensure proper social distancing. These are the signs you'll see on the tables at one restaurant. And some restaurants have even erected plastic dividers between diners. Final tips, make sure you wash your hands. And if you're feeling sick, why don't you order takeout?
1: Good job, Andrew. Thank you. Very good.
0: So things have changed a lot here in Taiwan since... The coronavirus came.
1: Definitely. Have you been eating out? I have. um, Not as much as before, but, well, in the very beginning when we knew about the pandemic, Restaurant business went way down. Yes. But I've noticed that since around Mother's Day, I couldn't get a table at some restaurants.
0: Really? Yeah.
1: So it's picking up again, I think, partly because there's been very no domestic cases for about a month. Mm-hmm. And um, these holidays, you know, where you're used to eating out. Yeah. People are feeling a little bit more safe about going out. But, you know, all the servers are wearing masks and mm-hmm. they do try to distance you if they can Mm-hmm. so it is different than before
0: I remember the first time I went to eat um, after the whole outbreak started I was really nervous taking my mask off in the restaurant to eat because I was thinking, wow, well, I'm exposed but uh, there haven't been any cases where, or I think very few cases where people have been infected in restaurants You know, because people are very careful to wash their hands yep. yeah.
1: so we are eating pretty well here in Taiwan <laughs> yes, that's right
0: <laughs> hopefully you will be able to do that soon in your part of the world Now, one thing that's really difficult to do during a pandemic is get married. But with the outbreak under control, they're easing restrictions on mid-size gatherings. And that's paving the way for summer weddings.
3: Good news for couples that want to get married. With COVID-19 under control, health officials are giving the green light to weddings, with some restrictions. Normally, wedding banquet tables can seat 10 people, but now they're only seating 8. Wedding banquets are also limited to 250
4: people. A spokesperson for one hotel says that the government will require detailed guest lists, but hotel staff will help take care of that. One venue
3: is offering free photo shoots to attract customers. Others are giving up to 50% discounts, hoping to kickstart Taiwan's struggling wedding industry.
1: Now, how do you celebrate an inauguration during a pandemic? Well, Taiwan is about to find out. President Taiwan's inauguration is scheduled for May 20th, but events have been scaled down to protect public health.
5: Wet wipes, hand cream, and a bar of Taiwan-shaped soap. These are not the typical inauguration gifts in Taiwan. But for guests at this year's ceremony, it's the perfect reminder of the country's number one priority in the time of coronavirus, disease prevention. Another change you'll see this year? a more streamlined inauguration. In lieu of the lavish events and large crowds of the past, the presidential office is going for a more intimate setting, only inviting 200 people to attend. Even the customary inaugural banquet has been canceled. On the morning of May 20th, President Tsai will be sworn in at the presidential office. She will then move across the street to the Taipei Guest House, where she will give an address. The itinerary may be sparse this year, but that doesn't mean they're holding back the creativity. This year's visuals revolve around four themes. Jade Mountain, Taiwan's highest peak, represents the spirit of Taiwan. Interweaving lines suggest hands joined in solidarity. There's a pair of ears symbolic of listening, and finally, waving flags represent Taiwan's sovereignty. This week on hashtag Taiwan, I want to talk to you about the beautiful city of Hong Kong and its wonderful people. Taiwan is often seen as a refuge for people from Hong Kong escaping political persecution. One person that's successfully taken refuge in Taiwan, Lam wing Kei, a bookstore owner from Hong Kong that the Chinese government detained for selling books that were critical of the Chinese Communist Party. Lam moved to Taiwan last year and opened up a bookstore in Taipei last month. On Facebook, the response to the bookstore has been overwhelming, there has been photos of the shelves being cleaned out shortly after the bookstore opened because people just really wanted to support him and his endeavors in Taiwan. Now it looks like another prominent Hong Konger might be moving to Taiwan as well. I'm talking about Anthony Wong. And yes, I'm talking about THAT Anthony Wong, the famous Hong Kong actor who's worked in films in Hong Kong, Taiwan, and the US. You see, earlier this week on Facebook, Wong revealed that he was in Taiwan undergoing a mandatory 14-day quarantine. He said he was having fun by himself and answered fans' questions to pass the time. One comment, however, caught quite a bit of attention. Amanda Wu told Wang that since he's in Taiwan, he might as well apply for citizenship. And Wang responded by saying that he's getting ready to. That thread just straight up went... (laughs) ammo because people in Taiwan were so excited at the prospect of Anthony Wong becoming a Taiwanese citizen. The comment got so much attention that Wong had to make a separate post saying, thank you to everyone for your concern. I'm still in quarantine. I will follow all of Taiwan's rules. Right now, I can't reveal too much, but thank you again for your concern. Wong has had a history of speaking up for pro-democracy groups in Hong Kong, so having Taiwanese citizenship might be appealing to him. But right now, Wong is just getting ready to film a series. However. That said, I would love it if Wang became a Taiwanese citizen. That way, he can go and convince Chen Yao-Fat to do the same. Not saying I like Chen Yao-Fat more. The more prominent people in Taiwan, the better, you know. I don't have any favoritism one way or the other. Who am I? I'm just a dude speaking to a camera.
1: That wasn't just any guy. That was Leslie Liao with hashtag Taiwan. Now, be sure to follow us on social media and leave a comment below. We would love to hear from you.
0: Have you ever wondered how many Taiwanese things you have in your home and what those things say about your connection to Taiwan? Well, those are some of the questions that we aim to answer in a brand new game that we are calling Taiwan Face-Off. Check it out.
1: All right. This is our very first Taiwanese Face-Off with Andrew Ryan. Hi, Andrew.
5: Hi. Hi. How's it going, Natalie?
1: Leslie Liu.
5: Hello, everybody. Good to be here.
1: And these guys are at home, and the uh, purpose of the game is to see how many Taiwanese things you have in the home, and you guys get to compete with each other, right? So the very first thing I want you guys to find and bring to us are Taiwanese drinks. Go! No! (laughs) (laughs) Wow, you got a whole six-pack? That's right. This is a a six-pack of
5: Taiwan
0: Inauguration beer. This is uh, ahead of inauguration on May 20th. This is special edition.
1: Okay, you get extra points for that, Andrew. <laughs> I'll, give, I'll give you two points, all right?
5: Thank you. I look a little despaired right now, but more than anything, I'm amazed at how similar our thought processes are.
1: <laughs> wow, that's beautiful.
5: This one's wow. from 2016. It predates Andrew's.
3: Oh, Whoa. That is cool.
5: Yeah, so there's Chen run and there's a Ta Wen. an amazing. 8-bit. And there's the presidential office.
1: So you get two points too because that's a collector's item. Awesome, <laughs> awesome. Okay, the next item is a Taiwanese sandal. <laughs> that's right, you got one, Andrew. That's one point <laughs> you.
0: I was a little sad that it wasn't a what we call lambaitor tour or oh, the blue and white sandal, but it's a blue and blue sandal. And this is what's on my uh, balcony. I got home sandals.
5: <laughs> oh. <laughs> that counts. Oh.
3: Ah, I've got a Christmas tree okay. ornament with blue and yes, white exactly. singles on it. Two
1: points. And Leslie gets one point. Um, mm-hmm. An old picture of you in Taiwan.
0: An old picture of me in Taiwan? Show us. All right. It's one of my first uh, trips to Taidong about 20 years ago.
1: Wow.
0: That's me wearing uh, Puyuma tribe clothes. That's uh, clothing made by my uh, Taiwanese godmother.
1: Oh, love that picture.
5: This is from my yearbook when I was at school here.
1: Oh, I've gotta see this one. Oh my god! Uh, Aww. That's
5: me. That's gotta be, oh man, sixteen fifteen years ago now.
1: Wow, that's, that's awesome. In the, school, and everything. the next is Taiwanese fruit. Different kinds.
5: Oh, oh, oh. I got bananas.
1: Okay, that's one point.
5: Wax
0: apple.
1: Oh, good, Andrew.
0: Pineapple.
1: All right, so that's three points so far. Guava. Four points. Awesome. You're healthy. A lot of great fruit we have here, right?
5: Guava. Oh my goodness! Oh, wow.
1: <laughs> Five points. Got out of
5: season stuff. That's not fair. Dragon fruit.
1: <laughs> Five points for Andrew. How about you, Leslie?
5: This is gonna lend some insight into my dietary consumption, but I have none.
3: Uh, Now we know what you I had
5: a bunch before. I swear I had bananas and I finished some mangoes with some yogurt. (laughs) But it really doesn't lend credence to anything right
3: now.
1: (laughs) You have one more chance to redeem yourself, okay? The last uh, category is a Taiwanese election-related material. Hey! Uh,
5: that's
1: (laughs) Can I a beer. <laughs> that's
5: right last inauguration i was actually a staff member at the inauguration and i have my staff pass oh cool and this is uh like the layout stage layouts and then a copy of uh president tzai's speech
4: oh wow
5: And just all the materials that we were given as reference points to make sure we knew what we were gonna, if anybody asked us any questions.
1: But Andrew still won. He had 12 points overall, while you had nine points. So Andrew's the most Taiwanese today.
5: I'm not surprised, like, (laughs) only today. (laughs) That really does not surprise me. Like, we are saying things, this is not new information to me. (laughs) And every way she performed.
1: I had a feeling Andrew would win. Great job, you guys. Thanks for playing our very first Taiwanese face-off. Bye. Some of the biggest names in the Mandopop industry appeared in a concert on Monday. And it wasn't a typical concert in front of a live audience. It was online.
0: The stars and the audience joined in from all around the world. And the reason for the concert? It was International Nurses Day on May 12th. Taiwanese pop star Jay Cho appears singing on camera, and he's got a surprise for his fans. It's Singapore pop star JJ Lin in a rare duet, and then there's Hong Kong pop star Andy Lau. And they're not the only stars. Some of the biggest pop stars in Asia lent their voices in an online concert to honor all of the nurses on the front lines of the global pandemic. Stars from Taiwan, Hong Kong, China, Singapore, and Malaysia came together to offer encouragement to nurses and fans alike. Thanks so much for joining us for this Inside Look at Taiwan this week. Be sure to connect with us on social media.
1: Yes, let us know how things are going in your country. For Taiwan Insider, I am Natalie So. I'm
0: Leslie Leo, And I'm Andrew Ryan. See you next week. RTI Exercise for Your Mind. <music> Taiwan Today with Natalie So.
1: Hello and welcome to Taiwan Today, I'm Natalie So. Today we're going to look at what it's like to be in quarantine in Taiwan from a writer, Carissa Chen, who divides her time between New York and Taiwan. The majority of Taiwan's COVID-19 cases are from people coming in from abroad. So Taiwan has a rule that those traveling into Taiwan need to be quarantined for 14 days and monitor their symptoms. Carissa recently came to Taipei from New York and shares with us her feelings while in quarantine. She talks first about what striking scenes she saw on her flight from New York to Taiwan.
3: Oh, everyone was wearing masks, but people were wearing like goggles, like raincoats, shower caps, like plastic wrap, like everyone was like, you know, gloves, like everything. So um, you could tell that people were just like, trying to, like, not touch anything. So it's it kind of scary, I guess, in that sense. Cause I got this sense of, like, how safe is this plane? But, like, you also kind of get this feeling of, like, I'm escaping this, like, disaster zone or whatever it is. Um, so, yeah, it was it's kind of a relief when I touched down, for sure.
1: When a visitor comes to Taiwan, they can either stay at a quarantine center or in their home if they have their own room and do not live with vulnerable people, such as the elderly Children and those with chronic diseases. Carissa tells us what quarantine officials told her about what to expect from her time in quarantine.
3: I was given a form to like to like fill out to take my temperature every day and like check all my symptoms. I mean, they were really nice. They were like, "Is there? Do you have enough food and water? Like, if you don't have enough food and water, you can always call this number. And like, do not go out and get it yourself. Like, we'll deliver something. If you have, if you feel unwell, do not go to a doctor." yourself, like, call this number and, like, we'll send someone over to check. You know, and I have friends who are delivering me food and stuff, so so that was fine. But I, I, I appreciated that they, like, had thought all that through.
1: Once you start your quarantine, officials will monitor and call you every day.
3: So the... First couple of days, they called me. So first, I think it was someone from the local bureau, like health bureau that called and explained everything to me. They told me they were going to pass it on to like the local police, I guess, because the local police might have better English. um, So that in case I had other questions, I could speak to them in English. So both uh, the first day when the local bureau called me and then the second day, they sort of reiterated like what. I had to do to make sure that, like, you know, I didn't go out by myself and that um, I didn't turn off my cell phone and that they would be calling me once a day. Um, since then, it's been sort of just really quickly, like, in the afternoon, usually the police calls me. They're just, they just literally just ask me, like, are your symptoms normal? And I just go, yep, they're normal. And they go, OK, thanks. And they just hang out.
1: But officials don't just call visitors every day while they're in quarantine. They also monitor their whereabouts.
3: I was told that they are tracking me by my cell phone, my GPS. I think they, you know, that's why you have to have a valid Taiwanese phone number because I think they're working probably with the um, cell phone companies to track your, you know, your signal. I had heard from other people that um, they were told that, like, if your phone, like, doesn't move for a some period of time, like, the way you might, like, if you're in your house and you're carrying your cell phone around, they also get suspicious, like, you left your cell phone at home and you went out for a walk.
1: Now, one of the things that people may be wondering is what you do for food. Writer Carissa Chen shares what she's been doing.
3: (laughs) I have a lot of instant noodles. Well, I also have, you know, I'm fortunate to have friends who have dropped me off, like, groceries. You know, I've asked for certain groceries. My very, very sweet security doorman in my building brought me, like, two dozen eggs and bread, which is really nice. Um, So I... I'm okay on food right now. I've just been cooking a lot and eating a lot of instant noodles.
1: (laughs) Now, Carissa is a writer, and we were wondering if she got to do some writing during her time in quarantine.
3: I haven't. And then the thing is, I told myself that I was going to. I was like, oh, this is just like a writing residency. I'm just like trapped, you know, like in the woods or something. But it's really hard to do that, I think. I think when you're... There's, like, that low-level anxiety of, like, what's going on, especially being American and being worried about all my friends and family back home. You know, I'm just, like, not in the right frame of mind to, to write. And especially because, like, the novel that I'm working on, it's not about a disease, but it's, it is about wartime and, you know, families getting separated for circumstances outside of their control. And it has become really hard for me to work on because it feels suddenly something that i had like imagined because it was something my grandparents had gone through has suddenly felt very real to me and while you might argue that when this is all over i'll have a better you know i'll have a better ability to like write it authentically which i really didn't want um i it's really hard for me to work on right now because it's it's a little bit painful and it's sort of scary um so i haven't been doing any writing i just have been watching tv (laughs)
1: During quarantine in Taiwan, you cannot leave the place where you're quarantined at all for 14 days. Carissa shares the first thing she's going to do when she is done with quarantine.
3: Oh my God, like walk outside. Like, I don't go for a run and inhale, like nice fresh air. (laughs) I don't have a balcony, so I like open my windows sometimes and like peer out. Like try to like, you know, take in some of the very fresh city air. I don't know. I, I think it's just more like change of scenery and being able to, like, go out to, like, the noodle stands and, like, buy noodles, like, that are fresh and be able to, like, get things that I want. I mean, like, because I've been cooking, I've been, like, looking up recipes and been like, oh, that looks great. Oh, I don't have this one ingredient and I can't go get it. <laughs> so it's just, like, fr- like the freedom to be able to get stuff, I guess.
1: Now, Carissa Chen, who is a writer who divides her time between Taipei and New York, Shares what being in quarantine has taught her about herself and about life.
3: It's interesting because I think that this this situation globally is going to have so many effects, and I think we're really seeing sort of both like the best and worst in people and in human nature, and like the way that people treat each other. You know, on the one hand, we have really terrible things. You know, people who are really selfish and who don't feel they need to quarantine or break quarantine or are being like really racist or xenophobic against people that they deem danger for like no reason than the way that they look right the anti-asian racism in america is really frightening and i'm Afraid for a lot of my friends and family back home, but on the other hand, I feel like I've seen like a lot of kindnesses. You know, like I've seen the way that people have been lifting each other up and like coming up with ways to, like sort of get through this together. And um, even something like I said, like my really wonderful security guy who like just like left food at my door. It was like so sweet. I was like really touched. You know, um, and so like stuff like that is like I think it tempers sort of the worst stuff. Um, and I really hope that what what I get out of it and, like, what I hope everyone else gets out of it is that, like, when stuff like this happens, like, the way that we have to, like, face it and, like, prevent things or make things better is, like, really in a way that, like, takes into consideration, like, everybody, like, in the community, you know? And so, like, for me, the thing that, like, I've been slowly thinking about while I've been here is that, like, just it's not enough for me to think, like, oh, everything I'm doing is to prevent me from getting the coronavirus because if I just have that mindset of like selfishness and like then what happens is like you hoard things right you hoard the masks you hoard the toilet paper you hoard the food and you're and you're awful to people but if I start thinking about it more like I'm gonna assume the worst which is that like I'm asymptomatic and maybe I have it then it's really about like what can I do to make sure that I don't become a factor in making this worse. Mm. How can I do my part to make sure that my community stays safe, but the people that I love and even the people that I don't know and I don't love. And, but they're just people that are other humans who have loved ones, you know, like how do I prevent those people from getting worse and how can, like, what is like the small part that I can do to do that? So like, I think it's hard because like right now, most people feel really powerless to do anything but i think that if we we can remember that like as a collective we actually do have the power to do something because our small actions and like not being selfish and like socially isolating in like making sure that we don't hoard things that there's enough to go around for the people who need them like those are the things that are actually going to make this thing go away and it's not going to be enough if like like, one person does it. It has to be, like, all of us. Every single person has to do it, like, literally, in order for this to go away. So that's what I hope that, like, people realize from this. And, I mean, it's definitely something that, like, I've realized for myself, so.
1: That is Carissa Chen, a writer who divides her time between Taiwan and New York. She was sharing her thoughts on being in quarantine upon arriving in Taiwan. This interview was conducted while she was in the middle of her quarantine in Taiwan. Taiwan currently still quarantines all arrivals for 14 days when they come from abroad to Taiwan. Join me now for a weekly news roundup in our lightning round news quiz, where I quiz my colleagues Leslie Liao and Andrew Ryan about this week's news.
0: The sound of the Amis tribe on Radio Taiwan International.
1: Now it's time to catch up with the week's news with our lightning round news quiz. I'm going to quiz my colleagues, (laughs) Leslie and Andrew. They have 60 seconds to guess as many questions from the news, and you can play along at home if you want. You guys ready?
5: uh, Yeah. No questions about fruit, right? I just. (laughs) (laughs)
1: No. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. So, ready? Go. In a recent Pew Research survey of Taiwanese, two thirds identified themselves as Taiwanese. Taiwanese. Very good. What new treatment successfully allowed 12 out of 14 COVID 19 patients in Taiwan to recover within 10 days?
0: It was Chinese medicine.
1: Yes. Mm. What does the bill pass in the U.S. Senate on Monday as Secretary of State Pompeo to do?
5: Support Taiwan's entry into WHO.
1: That's right. (laughs) Amendments to the Senior Citizens Welfare Act says that who is now obligated to support the elderly financially?
0: Kids. Their kids children.
1: Are, kids always have been.
0: Uh, their the government, parents, parents. their friends, <laughs> teachers. Who else, who else
1: is in their life? <laughs> Spouses. Oh. oh okay. <laughs> What's happening on June six? Oh, June six. Uh, 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 an Riko.
5: eclipse.
1: Recall. Very Riko. good. Recall of Mayor Han Kuo-yu, who recently changed their references to Taiwan.
5: Twenty-two airlines.
1: Very good, oh, Leslie. Damn. Who are resigning from their jobs today?
0: Uh, the pre- president, vice
5: president, <laughs> no, the cabinet.
0: Cabinet.
1: Very good, <laughs> Leslie. And what scared a woman in Orchid Island when she was using the bathroom?
5: A snake an alligator
0: a uh, scary hornet <laughs> her friend a cat a dog <laughs> a bear a, ch- a chicken a keep bear, flying, a in Orchid
1: Flamingo.
0: Island right, we can do this Orchid Island yeah. um, it would be something from a flying fish <laughs>
1: shark <laughs> noises made from a crab coming from the toilet where she was sitting Oh. Uh... <laughs> Never using the toilet again. <laughs> oh, that's terrifying! You guys did a great job, especially Leslie. <laughs> especially Leslie. No fruit
5: questions. I did. Awesome
1: ex- job. <laughs> All right, so that was our lightning round news quiz for the week. Thanks for joining me for Taiwan today. I am Natalie So, and we'll see you next week.
0: to the RTI Time Machine. Today's Time Traveler is
2: John Van Triest, and the destination Kaohsiung, 1901. For hundreds of years, rich fields of sugarcane have been a part of the landscape in Taiwan's rural south. The South's low-lying plains, tropical sunshine, and warmth that lasts into the winter months all allow for a fine crop to grow. Hong Fuche knows a lot about how this cane is turned into sugar. He once worked for Taiwan's state-owned sugar company. These days, he's a guide at the Taiwan Sugar Museum in Kaohsiung, housed on the site of Taiwan's first mechanized sugar factory. The museum serves as a tribute to the dozens of other sugar factories that once dotted Taiwan's south. Mr. Hong says these factories, and their sugar, played an important role in Taiwan's history. He joins us today to outline sugar's history here, to share stories about the factory where the museum is housed, and to tell us why exactly sugar was so important. The manpower needed to turn sugarcane into sugar came to Taiwan from China in the 17th century. During this period, southern Taiwan was colonized by the Dutch, and conditions were attractive enough to convince Chinese laborers to make the crossing. Sugar became one of the Dutch colony's important cash crops and export commodities. After several decades, attention shifted away from sugar. The half-Chinese warlord Koxinga arrived in Taiwan, expelled the Dutch, and installed himself as ruler over the South in their place. Mr. Hong says that as conquerors with an army to feed, Koxinga and his descendants were far more concerned about rice than sugar. Koxinga's family was later itself deposed when imperial Chinese forces landed on Taiwan in 1683. Taiwan South would now be incorporated into the empire. And in the end, while rice was always important, it didn't stop sugar production. (inaudible) Mr. Hong says the traditional way of making sugar would remain in use into the 20th century. A hut would be built from bamboo poles around a millstone. An ox would be brought in and tied to the stone, and once the sugar cane was in place, the ox would be made to pull the stone by walking in circles. Human laborers would then gather the crushed cane and take over for the rest of the process. These simple huts were temporary, and this pre-industrial way of making sugar gave small yields. In 1901, though, this way of making sugar began to disappear. This happened amid big changes in Taiwan. To the north, Japan had been transforming itself into an industrialized power and it had begun to make its strength felt in Asia. In 1895, Japan won a war against imperial China and walked away with control of Taiwan. Japanese businessmen quickly realized the potential of this new colony straddling the tropics and sugar became one of the first businesses they poured capital into here. The old ox-powered methods wouldn't cut it. This was an age of mass production. And so, in 1901, work began on the Chaotou Sugar Factory, site of today's sugar museum. Mr. Hong says the imported machinery brought into this factory was something new in Taiwan. Soon, large-scale production was underway to meet demand in sugar-hungry Japan. The factory office building reveals something of the times in which the factory was set up. Along the roof, you'll find decorative panels with holes appearing at regular intervals. The holes aren't that big, and many people might miss them. But Mr. Hong says they're there on purpose. These holes are for guns. Taiwan did not accept Japanese colonial rule quietly. There were sometimes episodes of bloody resistance, and from the rooftop fortifications, it's clear that the designers of this building had considered potential trouble with local people. With Japanese managers and technicians and a Taiwanese staff having to work together, something had to be done to ease tensions. The solution, Mr. Hong says, was a Buddhist statue on the factory grounds. These intentions wasn't its only purpose He says there had once been a graveyard nearby And when unexplainable problems popped up in the factory early on The supernatural was blamed But the statue chosen to resolve this problem was important Guanyin, the Buddhist goddess of mercy, is revered by both Japanese and Taiwanese people. And Mr. Hong suspects the choice of a shared deity rather than a purely Japanese god was meant to bring the two sides together. The problems apparently stopped, and the factory surged ahead. Railroad tracks were put in to transport sugarcane and finished sugar. At first, oxen pulled the carts. But eventually, steam engines were brought in to do the job. The tracks were called 50% rails because they were half the width of standard international gauge. In time, these tracks would become important for transporting people, too. And by the end of Japanese rule, Taiwan had 3,000 kilometers of them.
4: In 1927,
2: the factory would receive an almost sacred gift. During a visit to Taiwan a few years before, the Crown Prince of Japan had visited another sugar factory to the south. There, a bamboo grove had been planted to keep him cool in the tropical heat. The bamboo's blooming around the time of his arrival was deemed a good omen, and the grove became a popular attraction. In 1927, some of that bamboo was transplanted here at the Chaotou factory and the resulting grove became a place of worship on the birthday of the Crown Prince, who by that point was already Emperor. War clouds gathered over Asia during the 1930s, and by the 1940s, the Pacific War was on. Once again, sugar was not a priority, and Mr. Hong says some factories sustained damage during the war. At the war's end, Japan signed over Taiwan to the Republic of China, This new government was also heavily interested in sugar production, and the post-war years saw sugar become Taiwan's chief export. At one point, sugar was bringing in close to three-quarters of Taiwan's foreign exchange earnings, and at its peak, the state-owned sugar company was running over 40 sugar factories. With the 1970s and 80s, though, Taiwan's long sugar boom began to come to an end. Prices fell below the point where Taiwanese sugar could compete, For workers at the ChiaoTou factory, things were even worse, because the factory could only operate seasonally. He says the area of the nearby sugarcane fields could barely produce enough to keep the factory busy four months out of the year. Later, as the economy grew quickly, the government took more sugarcane land for building projects, and the factory could barely keep open for even three months at a time. Mr. Hong says workers might do tasks like cleaning the machinery, but they were otherwise mostly idle while still receiving pay. Mr. Hong himself joined the sugar company in 1985. At the time, he says, there were still 22 factories open in Taiwan. Today, there are only two. The sugar company shuttered the factory at Chaotou in 1999. Mr. Hong says the employees were all given the option of retraining or retirement. He decided to go into the hospitality industry. Though the profits had dried up, sugar had been a part of life here for so long that it was hard to see it go completely. That's why the sugar company decided to open a museum that would showcase this piece of local history. As Taiwan's first mechanized sugar factory, the factory at Chaotou was a natural choice to house the museum. The museum opened in 2006. Mr. Hong says that sugar wasn't just important locally. As he puts it, sugar was one of the bases supporting Taiwan's transformation from agricultural society to industrial powerhouse. He says it was one of the first industries on Taiwan to mechanize and produce on a mass scale. At the same time, the money it brought in helped support the economic development that's come since. Today, sugar is far from the mainstay it once was. But at the Taiwan Sugar Museum, former sugar workers can still come to reminisce about the old days. And young people can learn about the important place sugar holds in Taiwan's story. I'm John Van Trieste, and I hope you'll join me again next week for another journey through time. This is Taiwan
3: Explained, brought to you by Radio Taiwan International.
0: In today's Taiwan Explained, I'm going to tell you what it's like to eat in a restaurant in Taiwan in the time of coronavirus.
1: All right, you got 60 seconds. Are you ready, Andrew?
0: I think so. Go. All right, because the cases of coronavirus have been relatively few in Taiwan, less than 450 so far, that means that a lot of restaurants have stayed open for sit-down customers. But there are a lot of rules in place to keep you safe while you're dining in. If a server puts a gun to your head, don't worry, they're probably just taking your temperature. Then they spray your hands and al- with alcohol before you enter. Larger venues and events require you to leave your name and contact information. Staff members regularly disinfect restaurants, including tables, menus, and dishes, and staff must wear masks and wash their hands. Now, a couple other things that you'll notice when eating out in Taiwan. People use gongkwai, or communal chopsticks, rather than using their own chopsticks to serve themselves. Some restaurants have removed tables and blocked off seating to ensure proper social distancing. These are the signs you'll see on the tables at one restaurant. And some restaurants have even erected plastic dividers between diners. Final tips, make sure you wash your hands, and if you're feeling sick, why don't you order takeout?
1: Good job, Andrew!
0: Thank you! Very good! So, things have changed a lot here in Taiwan since the coronavirus came.
1: Definitely! Have you been eating out? I have. um, Not as much as before. But, well, in the very beginning, when we knew about the pandemic, restaurant business went way down. Yes. But I've noticed that since around Mother's Day, I couldn't get a table at some restaurants. Really? Yeah. So it's picking up again, I think, partly because there's been very no domestic cases for about a month. Mm -hmm. And um, these holidays, you know, where you're used to eating out, people are feeling a little bit more safe about going out. But, you know, all the servers are wearing masks and Mm -hmm. they do try to distance you if they can. So it is different than before.
0: I remember the first time I went to eat um, after the whole outbreak started. I was really nervous taking my mask off in the restaurant to eat because I was thinking, "Wow, I'm exposed." But uh, there haven't been any cases where, I think, very few cases where people have been infected in restaurants. You know, because people are very careful to wash their hands. Yeah.
1: So we are eating pretty well here in Taiwan. That's right.
0: (laughs) Hopefully, you will be able to do that soon in your part of the world. 320 kilohertz we'd love to hear from you